This Developer's Life is brought to you by Code Rush for Visual Studio. We appreciate their support. With Consume First Declaration, powerful templates, smart selection tools, intelligent code analysis, innovative navigation, and an unrivaled collection of visual refactorings all working together, your development productivity will increase dramatically. Get Code Rush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash coderush. matters. It matters in America. It matters anywhere in the world. We all like to think that the internet is the great equalizer, that this is a meritocracy, and if you do well and you write great code, you'll rise to the top. But what if that's not the case? What if good taste matters just as much? What if a nice suit and a good pair of shoes are just as important as being a decent coder or a great designer? Taste. Do you have taste? Do you want good taste? Can you develop it, or are you born with it? Style and taste, this week on This Developer's Life. Well, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. This episode is recorded live on Google+. I'm definitely with you on that, especially when it comes to clothes and how you look. Um, I think for developers, people just don't pay attention to their appearance very much. And <laughs> really, oh, great, really, <laughs> I'm hearing this from Jimmy Buffett here. Nice shirt, <laughs> nice shirt, Rob. You're in Hawaii with a puka shell necklace, and you're telling me about style. Oh well, you know, I'll tell you context, my friend. Over here, uh, these Aloha shirts. A lot of them cost a lot of money. Not not this one that I'm wearing, but this is considered a nicer shirt over here. But you can get a really nice Aloha shirt from a designer like Tori Richard. I think you might say Tori Richard. I don't know. But those things cost a lot of money. Over here, you see guys wearing them around. You could tell that person has taste. Special Hawaiian taste. Exactly. It's all context. Well, there are, there are no Aloha shirts here, but I can tell you this. You really can't overdress. My wife always tells me it's always better to show up one notch better dressed than show up one notch underdressed. One time I landed in Washington, D.C., and I got a text that we were going to go to the White House. And they said, uh, you need to be ready at 4 o'clock, and the dress is business formal. So I had to go and Google what business formal was, because I'm pretty sure I know what business casual is, but I'm not 100% sure of business formal. And I realized it means a suit, a full-on suit with the tie and the whole thing and the cufflinks. And I had nothing. I, I, I landed in, in acid wash jeans. I don't think that the, <laughs> acid wash, I don't think oh. the, I don't think the president wants to see my acid wash jeans. So I ran out and I hailed a cab and I said, find me the nearest men's warehouse. And I burst into the men's warehouse and I said, I need a suit in the next 30 minutes. And I put together a complete suit in 30 minutes, and I left the cab driver outside with the with the meter running. Was it an acid wash suit? It was not an acid wash suit. <laughs> and I, I I ran in there, and just like like Iron Man with the suitcase, uh, they just went and they kind of assembled a complete outfit for me. And I walked out, and I wore the suit out, went straight to the White House, showed up on time, 
And uh, just behind me uh, come some of the other folks, uh, one of them wearing white linen pants and a vest and flip-flops. So I asked the organizer, why did you text us and tell us to come business formal? And she says, well, I had really low expectations, so I told everyone business formal so they would come as dressed up as they could be. And I still have that suit, the suit that I wore one time to go to the White House. And I'm ready the next time that I have to go. I, I have to say I'm impressed. The White House, that's uh, that's an impressive thing. Well, it was, a, it was actually the Eisenhower building next door, but I checked in on Foursquare at the White House. Okay. Oh, that's a, that's a big so. check-in. So, okay. So, looks matter. That's what we're saying. Aesthetics matter. So. Looks matter. Well, good taste matters. Looks, I wouldn't say looks matter, but having a sense of style, a sense of the aesthetic, a sense of smell matters. I realize that it doesn't make sense to everyone. Why should I wear pants? Why does it matter? Well, there isn't always logic behind it, but there is a sense of feeling. And, and you know that feeling when you wore your suit at a funeral or a wedding. That formality and the way it changes how you feel. That is what I think taste and design and aesthetic is about, is it changes how you feel. But we're just a bunch of geeks. I mean, we don't know. Well, we don't, so we find someone who does. So I went and found Michael Bach, who's a designer at Microsoft. They actually do have designers at Microsoft. Surprising. And uh, it's true. And he is slowly turning the big ship around, uh, one well-thought-out design uh, at a time. Designers here are known as people that just make things pretty. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, and our small design group, which is like two of us, we feel like we do a lot more than just make things pretty, right? We add like the emotional feel to a product and kind of like this, the, the non-tangible stuff that you can't really, you can't really put your fingers on. And I mean, the, the way it works with, with working with developers, we just, we have to break it down in a logical way for them to understand what we're trying to do before they would even, even bat an eye at giving anything a chance to making it to a product. If we say something and there's absolutely no logical reason behind it, there's no way it's going to get shipped in the product because they're the one who's implementing it. And they just, they won't implement anything they can't understand. And I think that's the hardest part about working with, with such a huge developer organization is the not understanding aspect and trying to get some stuff done when there's like a million other tangible features that can get built. Yeah, I read this article in, about Google a guy who left Google, and he said that he knew he was going to leave when he was in an argument in a meeting with a lot of engineers about whether he should have a three-pixel-wide border or a five-pixel-wide border. Yeah. And they wanted to, like, run run polls and do, do data analysis on that. Exactly. I mean, we had – I mean, I can bring back a similar story to that is when we were shipping WebMatrix V1, I think. We – the design team decided that we really wanted – we thought WebMatrix kind of has this, like, soft kind of, like, not too harsh feel that we were going for. And one of the things that we really wanted to change was kind of like the colors that we were using in the code surface. You know, so if you look at Visual Studio and, and you can see they use, I don't know, I think it's like a bright blue and like a super rich red and maybe like a deep orange for some of their HTML and CSS like highlighting effects. 
But like with Web Matrix, we thought that that, that that looked way too harsh on the code surface. So the team spent like three days iterating on fo- in Photoshop, like just changing the opacity of like the blues and changing the opacity of the red. And every, all the developers seriously thought we were crazy. They were saying that like, you know, there's no way you can do it this way. We need the bright red. We need the bright blue because the contrast, you know, like we want to see our, our, our bright coat, our color, our code in like bright colors. But after we actually spent the three days and wrote the XAML file that they needed to change the color of the code. I think a week later, everyone came back and was like, for some reason, Web Matrix feels soft and it feels, it doesn't feel jarring and the code surface feels like it blends in right with the app. And they couldn't figure out what we did, but all we really did was to take the saturations of all the colors and desaturated, desaturated them by like, I think, 15% or something some small insignificant number like that, but those little changes that were like kind of fought through, we had to actually, you know, instead of slipping them through the um, the typical bug cycle that Microsoft is so Microsoft does, we just kind of have to back channel these types of changes. But the funny thing is, people do notice it, even though they didn't notice that it was even done. So I think that's that's kind of similar to that one pixel story you're saying, right? Because they're looking for a logical reason to. To, to get this one pixel thing and you know the designer just said hey this lighter blue looks way better but there was no possible way for him to you know logically argue why that light blue was better same reason why no one could really argue why that that lighter blue in that in in the code surface was way better sometimes when developers hear uh you guys and i'll i'll refer to you as you guys mm-hmm. uh talking about stuff like this you talk about it in very emotional terms you know like you know feeling and depth and texture and you know almost like you're describing food when you talk about design and engineers talk about you know crisp sharp clear clarity you know it doesn't compile it does compile type things who is more right i mean is one of us more or less human No, I don't think so, actually, because I, be- I think it's just a different way of, of thinking. Like, I feel like developers have such a, you know, a zero one type mentality where, you know, the feature that you're designing or the task they're doing either works or it doesn't work. If it works, it's a success. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. Right. Where, well, for us, we think of it more in the way of like, hey, it works, but but there's a whole bunch of different aspects about how it works. Like we would think, you know, did it feel good or did it? look good or did it you know if you're talking about food it's like if you're a developer you're eating food just to fill your body up right but if you're a designer you you're taking in the smell you're taking in the texture you're taking in you know how fast it takes you to digest how you know how how smooth like you know that fruit might be or how rough it might be and all those things add up to like the entire eating experience and i think that exists for for everything we do whether it's writing code or whether it's you know typing im on an im client or or anything like that so i think it's it's just more it's a difference in in how the two parties approach life right because i think you know programming is such a problem solving practice your metric is does it work or it doesn't work our metrics is does it feel good and that's just the very the very that metric that we use right there is already is a good contrast of how non-tangible the work that we do is.
there's a there's a poetry in the way you guys write code and the way it's organized and the way it's, it's thought and there's a there's you know there's a rhythm and poetry in the way visual our visual designs are laid out right the perfect spacing the really sharp crisp lines the the rendering of every single element the color consistency all those things are are tangible things that you can actually measure and that's what we notice a lot when we notice the difference between like a regular designer and someone who's just out of school, for example, or someone who's just learned Photoshop, right? You might they might lay a bunch of, you know, tiles or or images, and if you look at it from a designer point of view, you can see that you know you notice that that one that one image is two pixels off, but and you know that's wrong, but you know from an untrained eye, and which is which is I see a lot comparing from a junior designer to like a developer is they don't notice those one or two pixels that are off, but you know. The people on my team and me, we can tell the difference between one pixel and 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 two pixels. I mean, it, that's how trained our eye has become. People always joke about stereotypes around people with style. You know, they have like if you're a designer or a person with style, you have nice shoes and a nice mm -hmm. nice house, and you're organized. And uh, people who don't have style or developers have uh, funny clothes, and they're not very social. <laughs> Is, yeah, are those things true, and how do they relate? I think they're true because design doesn't just stop at the work you're doing, right? I mean, if you're a designer, you're no, you notice everything that's around you. I mean, everything you notice, you know, you look at architecture, you look at art, you look at fashion, you look at design for different inspirations. So I think, as a designer, it's just you know, it's just because you care about those things, you you kind of spread it out. And, into your whole life, right? That's why you look at a lot of designers, they love their Macs, right? Because all, all the color stuff, you know, the colors match. And if you look at their desks, everything matches. Whereas I think as a designer, it goes back to that, that thought that we we're talking about. The kind of binary aspect is that, you know, does, do I have clothes? Yes. Does it cover me up? Yes. Does it work? Yes. Bug solved. There's a million little things that that makes Windows 7 look better than Windows XP. But if, if you're going to ask, if you're going to ask a developer, I mean, they, they just won't be able to, they'll tell you, hey, one looks better than the other. I mean, a good example of that is that there's this one time we made, we made a minor change to a dialog box. I mean, it, to us, it felt like a major change, right? Like we actually changed the grid. We changed, we changed the, the spacing between the menu items and we changed the spacing between the, um, the buttons and we made the buttons a little bit lighter and we showed A and B to one developer and one developer we asked them what's the difference between A and B at first they were like um, it's exactly the same clearly it was not exactly the same I mean there were there were color differences I mean the same elements were on the screen but they were clearly visually different and their answer was it looks exactly the same so I mean and, and so then we we said hey look closer and then we started to point out all the things that were different and at that point they were they they kind of zoomed in their focus and kind of bit oh yeah you're right that spacing that menu spacing is a tiny bit you know a tiny bit taller then we asked them hey why why do you feel that that menu that menu feels better and they start looking at it and they're like mm, because it feels like there's more space and we're like bingo but they didn't notice any of that type of stuff until we were actually we actually narrowed it down for them but if they didn't notice it, why does it matter? It's the reason why someone picks one car over the other, or one shirt over the other shirt, or looks at a look, you know, looks at a picture and sees and thinks one picture is better than another picture. 
I think I think that intrinsic feeling of I guess all the all the things you learn in school, right? Visual hierarchy, color, harmony, and all those things. I think normal people can feel those things. They just can't pinpoint it, just like how the developers can, but on a, on a lower level. And I think that's why it matters to a lot of people. If it works, but it feels tight, or it feels cluttered, or it feels boxy, or it feels round, it adds. Those feelings are triggered. You they might not be triggered like like where you say, okay, I completely noticed that aspect, but they're. There are these triggers that go on your head and, and kind of tell you whether whether what you're looking at is right or wrong. Sometimes I feel like de- we, sh- we, we developers are supposed to care about design because designers tell us we should and they say it really loud. Mm-hmm. And I look at like applications that are like utilities that have been around forever like InfraViewer and FileZilla and mm-hmm. these are ugly, ugly mm-hmm. applications like horrendous and i only know that because i've like used ipads and stuff and i sure i know like when you val i know that when you value design it's better but i'm not sure if i really know that or maybe you guys have just been telling me that so long that i now believe it yeah and like i'm not going to argue the fact that you know i'm not going to say that like how the product works the it, it can't it, it's not a one-way street you know design supplements functionality and functionality supplements the design. So, I mean, it's it's this balance that we try to all aim for. I mean, FileZilla works super awesome. It does the job that it does. But can you not argue that if it was a nicer application and things were a little bit, you know, thought out in terms of the design that it couldn't be, should we live in a world where good is just good enough? You know what I mean? Sometimes, uh, you know, I look back at pictures and haircuts and facial hair that seemed like an awesome idea in the height of style mm-hmm. five years ago, and now it doesn't. Uh, my, my iPhone is starting to feel dated, mm-hmm. but it hasn't changed. It is static, so right. that adds another variable. For me, I feel like the, the whole feeling dated is just more related to the fact that it's ubiquitous, right? You see it every day. You see exactly the way it looks. It hasn't changed, and it, and it gets boring. And I think that's just more, more, more in line with the fact that, you know, we get bored looking at things and things need to change. And in school, we had this one test where, where we did, where the teacher showed us a radio, right? Same exact knobs, buttons, exact same UI. And then another radio that has the same buttons and same, same LCD screens, same text screens, and the exact same information. Nothing's changed. But when we were doing a study of it, and we made, we did, you know, we went, we went off, we went off to a bunch of consumers, like went to the mall, and we did like a study. Hey, which one seems easier for you to use? And they looked at they, every, it was the ninety percent, almost unanimous. Everyone said the one on the right, and the only difference between the one on the right were visual treatments. It was the colors that we used to design the user interface, the typeface that we used to design the, the you know, the, the LCD readout that, that tells you. What songs playing? The the form factor is just slightly squished, and yeah, the colors were overall just smoother. But those were the only difference between between A and B of two radio designs, even though they were identically functional. Every button did the exact same thing. That is kind of like the that is what we think. We think visual design plays is hand in hand plays the same role that feature design does in making something feel great to use. I mean, you can have a big red button that looks really, really big, and th- when you and when you press it, it does the same thing. Or you can have a really soft, light 
icon, you know, the gradient soft iPhone-like icons that you see that that you make makes you really want to click it. Hey, they both take you to the same place, but the only thing different is visual design, and the right one feels like you want to click it. I remember a quote Steve Jobs says when he was when I had a friend that worked at Apple that said, I think they said that like what Steve Jobs wanted the UI to be was they wanted he wanted to be lickable. That when you actually look at the UI, you want to eat it like candy. Just for the very fact that people, when they see candy, they want to grab it, or they, or they're just it, it just sparks something in their their you know in their primal senses, and that's the birth of the aqua button that you see in Mac OS X. The way something looks and the way something feels changes the way something works. The food analogy really resonated with me because, as a diabetic, uh, as a type one diabetic, I have some limitations on what I can eat. And sometimes I've been traveling, been overseas, and someone will say, "Hey, you're in China. Why don't you have some real Chinese food?" But I'll go to Subway sandwiches instead because it's what I know and what what works with my blood sugar. The idea that good design and functionality can go hand in hand is really powerful. But with the food analogy, Michael really hit a chord for me because. I can either enjoy my food, or I can be really functional. I eat simple foods when I'm overseas so that I can perform and do my job. But it got me thinking about design and functionality versus feeling and functionality. Can it look good and feel good at the same time? And if it didn't, would I notice? I used to not care. I used to not care what I looked like, and then I started to realize that it—it's such a small amount of effort for such a huge amount of of payback. You get so much more with a nice pair of shoes or jeans without a hole in them. I remember talking to a good friend of mine, Clint,、uh, at a, a conference, and he's such a great guy and he's such a talented guy. And I said, Clint, you need to dress better. And I gave him a whole lecture about the magic of leather shoes. Like, if there's one thing a programmer can do to change their their fashion experience, is wear a pair of leather shoes. Stop wearing New Balance sneaks、uh, if you're trying to meet meet ladies or, or meet men. Put on a pair of leather shoes. And he did that. He did that, and he came back another year to a conference, and he looked fantastic. I don't think he fully understands why, but I gave him a business rule, and he applied the business rule, and hopefully that will allow him to pass、uh, even more tests than before. Design, fashion, style, taste—it's all the same. You can't, you can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. You can't come at me. And show me a bunch of code with a giant switch statement. I don't care how many tests it passed. If you've got three, three nested switch statements, 
you're a bad person. You're a slob. <laughs> you need to stop, right? You know, when you see someone who's coming, you know, who's got flip-flops and holy jeans and, and the, the uh, they call it a wife beater, but it's the, uh, the T-shirt, V-neck T-shirts, you, you need to have a fashion intervention. Uh, I think the same thing applies to, to software and software design, whether it be the design of the software, like the switch statement, or whether it be the low-resolution icon. Make it stop. Well, speaking of the marriage of function and design, it's interesting that Michael is talking about the interactions between developers and designers. Because I have a good friend, Jeffrey Grossenbach, uh, who is the producer of the Ruby on Rails podcast. He's also Mr. Peep Code. He is probably the perfect marriage of an engineer and a designer in one body. So we talked to him for this story this week. Hello. <laughs> hey, you sound like you're right inside my head. One of the things that Jeffrey is known for is the impeccable production quality of his screencast at PeepCode, as well as his blog, blog.peepcode.com. If you go take a look at it, the visuals on it are amazing and often have a greater impact than the text that he actually writes. I asked about one post in particular that got a lot of attention. We challenged the Rails routing mechanism, and the post led off with a massive graphic. It was pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, that was definitely a goal. And, you know, a funny thing about that is that a lot of people look at that particular article, which happens to have been posted the day before my daughter was born, which was, uh, I guess she's four months old now. So um, <laughs> I have like six or eight more drafts of articles which haven't seen the light of day yet, but that that one's still up there. And, you know, people who talk about that, it's... The, the, draw, the drawing by Mike Rode, it's the quote by uh, Reg Braithwaite. You know, if, if they didn't scroll below the fold, they may not have even seen anything that I actually said or wrote, but just that header graphic. And that was almost a much enough to carry it on its own. You know, I, I think that's one thing I've started to try to do with this is like an article, can it have, can it be read in multiple ways? Um... If you read through a magazine, you could just go through and just look at the pictures or, you know, people famously look at the New Yorker by just reading all the cartoons, not even any of the articles. Or maybe you just read all the the, the pull quotes that, that are in big text uh, from the article, or maybe you go and you read the article itself. So to try to create something where people can experience it on multiple level levels and maybe even remember, but still get something useful whether they looked at it for five seconds or five minutes. Jeffrey loves to provoke with his aesthetic sense. And one of the posts he wrote had a bright orange background with a white image of a keyboard right in the header. And it caused a lot of chatter. Oh, yeah, that was that was huge on uh, Hacker News. Yeah, it got there, which oddly has orange in its logo itself. But... 
I think that was kind of an accomplishment itself to get all these geeks to to have this extended discussion about aesthetics and shades of orange and color and how important that was and how wrong it was that it was being done poorly. Oh, that's great. Now now people are thinking about these things and expressing opinions. You know, that's that's a win in my book. As a developer writing code, one uh, has limited experiences to do front-end development like that. So now being, you know, running my own business, I'm definitely doing a lot more of that. But um, in my, when I was working for companies or freelancing, I was never doing front-end kind of work, but I enjoyed it and I wanted to get better at it. Well, you're not going to get better at something unless you're doing it. And so to me, this was an opportunity to actually do this stuff. Um, You know, a lot of the techniques I use are fairly standard to what front-end designers are aware of and and what they would do. But uh, being able to take a design like that, kind of mull it over, you know, some of these posts... I probably had in draft for a month or, or even six weeks um, thinking about it, kind of tweaking things here and there. And, and that's how I get to get to an end result is it doesn't just come all at once. It's, you know, d- doing this, tweaking this here, trying something a little different here and there. Wow, I checked out this guy's blog, and uh, Jeffrey's blog is amazing. It is gorgeous. It's It's not a blog as it is a series of well-designed, organized, full, full-page full magazine articles. It's it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, even the word stunning would be appropriate here, even though it sounds a little fanboyish, I suppose. But Jeff understands the power of aesthetics, not only to to convey a point, but also to provoke a response. But listen, listen to what he did for the Rails conference that he went to a couple of years ago. I did wear a suit to maybe even a couple of the Rails conferences... Um which to me is is a nice kind of countercultural thing because everybody at uh, tech conferences are in just t-shirts and jeans. So you know, if you wear a suit, you're you're bucking the trend. You're you're standing out from the crowd. And part of the thing I like about an interesting outfit or or a blog article, whatever, are all the different pieces that come into it and the stories of how that happens. Uh, you know, maybe it's like yeah, the. Uh, J. Peterman catalog, which I think I only read because it was mentioned on Seinfeld, where they would have these extensive descriptions of all the products they sold of, you know, these leather boots were harvested from, you know, cows in Tibet or something, I don't know, you know, this extensive story. Um, so to me, I think one uh, RailsConf, I wore my favorite Japanese sneakers, bathing ape sneakers, and uh, then what, some kind of jeans and then like a suit coat and I think even a t-shirt that I got in New York City. So part of it to me is the story, like how, all the different pieces, how do they come together and uh, and then hopefully, you know, does it look interesting or or note, noteworthy once it, once it all comes together. Sometimes it's a bunch of individual things that I th- each think are interesting and hopefully then they all work together or comfortable. Like I think in the last... I think it was even in the within the last four months, I bet this really f- nice pair of fancy dress shoes. And because I think it's like, you know, if you have an old, a really old truck, but you put nice chrome wheels on it, that thing looks hot. You know, it's it, it can be the, the most run down, rusty truck, whatever. But but it has this one element of 
shiny chrome wheels, then suddenly it's this, uh, you know, it's a, it's a whole different thing. And all you changed was one element of it. So for me, shoes are kind of that way. You know, no matter what you're wearing, if you have interesting shoes, you can, you know, that kind of, uh, it picks up the rest of the outfit and, and improves it, makes it look good. So I bought these, these fancy, uh, dress shoes. I think, I think I knew that I needed some, at least one pair of dress shoes, which I didn't really own. And I was walking through a place and saw these and I was like, oh, wow, those are amazing. And of course they were pretty expensive, you know? And, uh, so after a couple months I was like, okay, I think, I think I can buy these. So I bought them and then I wore them and the first day, uh, one thing led another. And I had to walk like a mile and a half in these shoes and this, you know, dress shoes the very first time I wore them and they were extremely comfortable. I had no blisters. They felt great. And so now that's the thing to wear. It's these cool looking shoes that even if I wear them with jeans or something here, I have this, uh, this great looking outfit and these things that may otherwise not go together, but, but you put something together and, and suddenly it looks interesting. I do almost that exact thing to where I get a uniform to where the clothes I wear every day are basically, I just buy like several shirts of the exact same thing and several pants of the exact same thing and then that's just what I wear around day to day because I know it works and I like the way it looks and it fits and, and that's my uniform. The other thing, I don't know why I think this relates, but a friend called me out as a product snob a couple of years ago, which is basically if I have a certain idea in mind or a certain product I want, I'm going to hold out till I find something that's functional, that it looks aesthetically good, and often I will suffer with whatever substandard products I have or nothing at all until I find that perfect thing. For like, for example, like when I bought my house, I went like four years without having anything other than a one couch in the entire living room, like no carpet, no side table, absolutely nothing else because it was like I couldn't find the exact thing that I wanted that needed to be in there. So, and if I if I see something that is aesthetically kind of grates on me, I'd rather just have nothing at all rather than than having something that that looks bad. we've drawn a number of of parallels in this show between aesthetics, taste, fashion, and design. And we keep coming back to fashion. It's interesting because here's a person who cares about the design of his blog, but he also cares about what he presents to the world. And he uses that to provoke a response. The response that he was provoking with his uh, shoes and suit coat was changing kind of the way that people treated him at this conference. I went to a conference recently where I dressed up as nice as I possibly could without being formal. It completely changed the way that my presentation was reacted to. I received a number of compliments, and uh, I think I'm probably going to dress up a little bit more at a, at a conference. Put your best foot forward, as my father always used to say. Why wouldn't you? I like that, and I think it's appropriate. Um, it's interesting, when I was at a conference just recently in Norway, um, 
I put on my best Aloha shirt. Speaking of Aloha shirts, <laughs> and it's funny the reactions you get from people. They look at you and like, oh, that's that's neat. Well, the dang thing cost me a lot of money, and to me, I'm dressed up. But you know, who knows? I mean, I guess you don't need to be wearing a suit. Is my point to make a point with what you're wearing? Which is interesting. Do you have to spend a lot of money on design in order to provoke a response? Or do you just simply need to have attention to details? Because this is the thing that I'm hearing from both Jeffrey and Michael, is that it is as much paying attention to the details. Exactly. Check out what Jeff has to say about the details and the aesthetics of his code. Thinking of something as a, as a whole product, thinking of the not only the way the works, but the way it looks and, and uh, the, every aspect of it, trying to improve that overall. I mean, as developers, we want code to work, but we want it to be documented documented well, and we want a good API that we can remember and that, that works with the kinds of stuff we want to do with it. And often, we get one or two of those. You know, Maybe it works, but the API is horrible, or maybe it has a good API, but it doesn't perform very well, and Nobody can really write that much documentation, so usually that ends up uh, a lower priority. So, you know, it's it's these different elements we, we want. Somehow I'm going to realize that some of my aesthetic preferences for Ruby code are completely at odds, at least uh, from most of the Ruby developers that I see regularly. Like, I don't know a single Ruby developer who likes putting parentheses around things. I put parentheses around everything. And or like all Ruby developers like do and end. I think curly braces make make much more sense everywhere. Then you can you know get the little editor uh, tick back to show you the matching brace and stuff. You don't get that with do end. But uh, here's one w place where I do fidget over the style is uh, just using a code beautifier. I hate manually indenting code, partly because then I would have to go through and fix everything to make sure it's indented the right way because that would annoy me if if stuff was oddly indented but second i just don't want to go through and do the work of hitting the space or tab bar until everything lines up i just want to hit one key and blam the entire file then suddenly looks beautiful so that that is one aspect where i put my foot down and demand beauty and uh, it's just a unbiased observation that because matt's yukihiro matsumoto himself uses emacs that I assume that the way Emacs indents Ruby is the way that he intends for it to be. But in TextMate, you can do it too. I mean, while I was using TextMate exclusively, I found some little Ruby script that does some indentation. Mm -hmm. I think it's brilliant. Stuff like Google's Go comes with an indenter as, you know, you get you install the thing and you get a compiler and you get a debugger and you get a code beautifier. And everybody can just use that and, and know that they're using the the standard style. Would you say you're a disciplined person? And if you are, are you kind of born that way or did you have to cultivate it? Am I a disciplined person? Um, you know, I, I, th I think I'm not as disciplined as I would like to be, but I think maybe that also contributes to becoming more disciplined is that I feel like I, I need to be always need to be more productive, need to be more uh, consistent with things, keeping up the different habits, you know, good habits that I want to do regularly. Uh, so, so that's definitely always in the back of my mind of, of wanting to improve, wanting to, to continue on with things. 
as far as you know, I, I'm not spending a solid month uh, doing nothing but the, the uh, a blog article. But it's something that's kind of that I mull and that maybe I'll uh, as I'm drinking a coffee as I wake up in the morning or something. I'm I'm thinking about some element of this, or I'll see some some other element in a magazine or newspaper or, or online or something like that and think, oh, okay, that's interesting. Let's see if I can recreate that or let's see if I can do that. Um, to me, it's kind of like I, uh, you know, d- did a bit of skateboarding, never very good at it, but, uh, but had fun. And once you start doing that, especially street skating, it's like when you're driving downtown, if you're walking, if you're on the bus, you start looking around and seeing all these opportunities of oh wow there's a handrail you know <laughs> i could go down that or or there's something that i could jump over or or there's just a, f- a flat surface of road or something like that and it's like the you know the whole world becomes much more interesting because suddenly you're looking out you you have these extra capabilities or or extra things that could be done and then the world becomes just a surface on which to do these different activities so to me the having a blog like this is that same kind of thing. You go around, you see, uh, you know, you see elements out in the world and suddenly it becomes more than just kind of a passing interest. It, it's something that then you can try to take back with you and try to recreate. And, you know, to me that makes life more exciting. And then it makes it, uh, give some of the raw material to, to try out these different ideas. Another thing I think, as you mentioned, that's hard is, if you're writing a program, then, and especially if you're doing test-driven development, but even if you're not, you have a hard standard by which to measure whether or not the program works correctly, which is, you know, first, does it compile? Does it run? Uh, then does it do what I intended for it to do? With something aesthetic, there's no real measure. I mean, you mentioned the uh, the golden ratio or something. I hate it whenever I'm reading some book or, or a talk and people start talking about the golden ratio because they always end up with, uh, they'll spend several pages talking about the golden ratio and what it is and how you calculate it. And then it just kind of ends there and they go into some completely different topic. So obviously it can't be that practical because they couldn't even figure out how it would be practically applied. And to me, it's just kind of, you know, maybe it's something you, you're generally aware of, but, but it's not going to be a, a hard standard that, that you can then measure a design by and, oh yeah, it's, it's five pixels off from the golden ratio, so therefore it's going to be ugly. I wish there were a bunch of other developers who had blogs that looked exactly like mine, because obviously this is exactly what I want to look at. But, you know, I wish more more developers, definitely there are tons of, of front-end designers who are doing this kind of stuff, but, uh, you know, developers who wanted to put this kind of visual graphic uh, attention to things, because I find it interesting. It's the kind of uh, content I want to consume, you know, I subscribe to GQ and read the Sartorialist, not that I have those kinds of clothes, but but I find it interesting. And so I think it's it's an attempt to kind of create something that I, that I think doesn't really exist out there. And, you know, there's part of those, those screencasts, too, of the, here's something that, uh, you know, is apparently financially viable, and so let's do it, and let's do it in a way that, that nobody else is doing, uh, but is completely possible and and will look interesting and and 
be useful and, uh, you know, maybe it motivates other people to do something similar too. So, uh, and I think the other businesses that I admire are doing this kind of stuff, but, you know, maybe a completely different field. Like the place that I go to, uh, for coffee a couple mornings a week is this little, uh, bakery and they're doing, you know, of course, French pastries and, you know, flaky croissants and this kind of thing. But, uh, the thing that I think that I admire is the f- the guy who started the place only a year or two ago or something like that. He's doing this fairly small business. He's not trying to be this massive, uh, you know, warehouse churning out millions of uh, of croissants every day. They're back there, you know, just these artisan bakers, just you know, making these little uh, hot chili. Uh, pastries or of course chocolate or all these different things and he you know he's really putting this art artistry into it to where everything you go and you buy from him is this delicious piece of pastry that he's put not only effort into to making it technically work uh, as as it gets baked but also taste good and then aesthetically that that it looks interesting so putting all, all those things together that's the kind of food I like to consume, that's the kind of clothing I like to shop for, and then that's the the kind of blog or, or screencast that I want to put together is to kind of involve all those things at once. So that's my model, the uh, Honoré Bakery in Ballard. Maybe there's a God above But all I've ever learned from love Was how to shoot somebody who outdrew And it's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody who's seen the light. It's a call. So we know from our storytellers today that style and perception have a lot of power. It's about manipulation, sort of, and it's also about telling a story, evoking emotions in people. And my question is how many how many developers, how many geeks like you and I really know this and use it? We as programmers think sometimes that our primary power comes from the code. And I'm starting to realize that it is as much the perception of the application as it is the application itself. You could have a patentable piece of amazing PhD quality intellectual property behind a big fat blue button with sharp edges on it. Will they be able to see how great your code is over that ugly blue button? Will they be able to see your brilliance through that giant thick beard and those New Balance shoes? And that beautiful Aloha shirt. (laughs) And that wonderful Aloha (laughs) shirt. And the puka shells. We may not agree that this is how it works, but there is power in style. And you just have to choose how much you're going to care. a big thank you to the folks at Code Rush for Visual Studio for helping support this developer's life. Code Rush has the fastest rename, the fastest find all references, fastest test runner. When it comes to creating, modifying, and refactoring code, nothing's faster than Code Rush. It's been on my ultimate power tools list since forever. 
get Code Rush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash Code Rush. We appreciate their support. Yeah.